This is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects, and consequences on their family, friends, and taxpayers. Listeners' discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences, discussed for taxpayer education, and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy, host of I Change Justice podcast, and I'm here with Kehalani Walker, who is working with a nonprofit called FOTI, F-O-T-I. And Kehalani, I want to invite you to the call Please explain what FODI is. Hi, thank you, Joy. Thank you for having me here. Um, FOTI actually is an acronym and stands for Families of the Incarcerated. Um, I actually created this uh, community about six years ago, and I am a wife of an incarcerated individual. Um, my whole purpose of creating the this was really to to have to be able to relate to others and support. That was really the beginning of FOTI. Um, our grassroots were strength in numbers when we first started and we started with one group and we've definitely grown since then, but that is. So how did you end up becoming, were you um, friends of this man before he became an inmate or were you like, how did you end up like nobody plans to grow up to become a member or a family member of someone who's been incarcerated. So what happened that that happened? And why does it matter that you decided to like what propelled you to want to actually create a nonprofit to talk about felon issues or prison issues, incarceration issues? I just want to clarify real quick, Joy, too. We aren't a nonprofit. Uh, FOTI is not a nonprofit, but okay. there is of the FOTI tree that is a nonprofit that's called The Roots Up. But my uh, passion- So, so oh, hold on, before you get there, this is important to understand because there are for-profit corporations that work in the prison industrial complex that help people. There's a company that you're, you're aligned with that is also a for-profit corporation. And then there are nonprofits. And the reason I was thinking you're, I, I referred to you as a nonprofit is that I know that parts of your organization are very involved in statewide legislative issues. So you started in getting involved in issues that are coming along. So back up just a little bit about that and give us a better understanding, because most people truly don't understand that there's entire companies that do their entire business as either support people or contractors or people who work inside the system. Give us a little bit of a better understanding of what that means. Well, I mean, I can't say necessarily that we work inside the system, but for me, it was really to uh, to um, join hands with a company that um, it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I I don't look at it the way of a, a profitable because we're not. I mean, right. we really are looking at it. We're not a political group or anything like that, but we, I don't even know how to really honestly answer that. Okay, so it's just but a I business. Tell you that it, it, the way that my, my whole brain worked on how I was trying to create this is 
it's all worked out how it needs to. So the part of FOTI is the corporation that really is about helping families navigate through the system. And what we've created and partnered with the other company is to create tools to help families navigate. And one of them happens to be the app. So FOTI itself is the corporation. And then we're a trinity. So we have the corporation, we have the nonprofit, and now we're just forming an actual union. So it's so when, a, we're, so when we're talking about business and corporations and for-profits, nonprofits, it isn't about that. We're literally talking about the legal structure upon which you operate. Right. And that's right. part of the thing that confuses people so much because most people don't even understand business, let alone legal titles of businesses, corporation formats and how they operate. So thank you for bringing right. that forward. I mean, I don't ever understand it either, to be honest, but... <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the human part. What got you involved in in this whole conversation in the first place? Well, I met my husband actually about 17, almost 18 years ago. Uh, we were friends. He was actually a mutual friend of my one of my past relationships. And uh, we seen each other in crossing. He went his way. I went my way. And honestly, uh, to be really transparent, he was on a, a site, a dating situation. And I met him through there and didn't realize that it was him uh, oh. 17 years later. So it's almost, we call it destiny because honestly, we would have, we didn't, we hadn't seen each other for that long. Um, and, you know, he had, he had, he had gotten himself into a situation and he had to go to prison and I was willing to uh, ex accept the fact of him going to prison. Now, did I know what I was going to be getting into? Absolutely not. Um, never even thought twice, twice of any judicial situation in my life. Um, and so, but really it's not because of him going to prison though. I mean, my true passion came alive when my first step was into the Washington system, um, was stepping on the grounds and the way that I was treated. I mean, that really was where my passion came from because it triggered my childhood trauma. And um, that is where uh, I became more passionate. And I can't say that um, I am a true activist and I feel that it is for the reasons of um, to be the abuse of power. So that is. So in other words, what happened is you got in as a human, you fell in love with this man. You cared about this man. You decided to go to the prison, to the prison where he was incarcerated to visit him. And when you stepped onto those grounds and start and walked inside those walls, it changed how you perceived everything, which it does. I mean, it absolutely, once you go inside lockdown walls with keys and gates and guards, and you are then subject to the rules of the system. And that changed how you were. So why don't you talk? I, I, I'm going to let you talk about what you'd like to talk about, because in in one of the reasons I invited you on here is when I was having a conversation with you and you said the work release facility, the prison work release facility in Whatcom County was shut down. And right now I'm going, how can it be shut down? It was just it was just expanded. What happened that that happened? So why don't you bridge the gap from where you first walked in and went, wow, something's something's important here. My passions awakened. I started and I did Fodi, and then suddenly you're here in Bellingham. You were waiting for someone that's this man to be released. 
and you moved to this area expecting him to be released here, and then he wasn't. So talk to me about that whole conversation. What happened that that happened? Yeah, so um, my husband actually uh, was supposed to be transferred to the Bellingham work release. And the whole reason why I moved to Bellingham, because basically um, I'm able, I was able to move to where my husband was. Um, but two reasons brought us to Bellingham. One was obviously the Bellingham work release. And then my daughter lives in Bellingham. So everything happened for a good reason. But then when he was eligible for work release, uh, we were informed that the Bellingham work release closed. And uh, it closed, which is, you know, it's really honestly mind boggling to me because of the work that we do do with Boti, the research that we have done. Um they closed they closed the Bellingham work release due to the fact that they they didn't have the funding and they didn't have the funding to um for the so in the work releases in Washington they have contractors and then they have DOC state employees which that alone is mind-boggling but um their contract was ending and the uh they didn't want to renew it I guess that was, I mean, I'm, I can't be a hundred percent on what I'm telling you, but this is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I did speak to uh, the individual for DOC that overlooked this project. And he basically just said that they didn't have the funding to be able to uh, pay for the employees to work there. So that's why they were closing it. So when you say DOC, that's department of corrections, that's Washington state. And the people who were working at work release, were DOC employees or was this where they had an independent contractor that was running DO, the, the facility and the contract fell apart between the contractor and Department of Corrections? Is that so that that's where it's at? Well, it's a it, yeah, they both they had two. they had the contractor and state employees. But basically, uh, the DOC contractors ran that facility so that they ended their contract. So now oh. what they were trying to do is negotiate state employees to come in there to work, but they didn't have the funding for it. So they wow. had to go through legislation. So that happened just in the last couple of months, correct? Which really alarmed me because I think, like I brought up with DO, the Department of Corrections was, why did you guys wait so long? If you knew this was coming down the pipeline, why? Because there's individuals that could obviously uh, benefit from this uh, work release being open. So I, I, I'm going to be doing a little bit more research on it. Um, so because so it's impacted. Thing, that's what I want to talk about next. And let's talk about what was it like as the wife of a person who was releasing You've moved your life here, expecting your husband to be released here, finding out suddenly, I mean, I, I when I was talking to you on the phone that day, you said, well, I'm having to drive down to Seattle because he's being released down there. And I said, what for? And that's, so talk to me about the impact, the human impact of some of these kinds of things, because that's right at the roots of why you decided to take action. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, today I can tell you it's just impactful itself because, um, you know, moving isn't isn't easy on the physical body as well as financially, it's hard too. And so 
Um, Matt being taken down to Seattle financially, it's impacted us because obviously I have to drive down there, but it's exhausting. I mean, Mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, it's exhausting. So, um, it's, I just, I, for me, how it's impacted me is, um, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not. It doesn't benefit my well-being because of the fact that um, I can't be alert 100%, not only in my personal life, but obviously this has caused some emotional damage. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I just had a a conversation with him today because he actually got offered a really good job, which is a plus, but it's in Seattle (laughs) and I live in Blaine. So it right there, it causes a little bit of uh, friction, I guess you could say, not between the two of us, but we now have to talk about me possibly having to move again. So it's just a lot. Like, it's like the process of it should be well, more well thought of release than just releasing anywhere and that person having to figure out what they have to do because they, they do have family, you know, Um Am I thankful that my husband is is in really work release? Yes, I am. Um, because there's a lot of individuals that aren't in work release yet. They're still waiting to get to work release. Um, but there's always the butt of it too. It's it's there's a lot to it. And so um I love where I live in Blaine. It's a great location, but now I'm having to uh think about having to move again down to that area. So let's back up a little bit, because I think this is significant, and I don't want to skip the problem. So when you first became involved with him and he was in prison, you had to go do this whole experience, as I'm thinking of you as as families of the incarcerated. You had to be, you were affected by the way that he was treated it was during COVID, correct? So you had to deal with COVID restrictions. You have to get a background check. Talk to me about this whole thing of a family member of an incarcerated person being, you're completely controlled basically by another system and you're a family member. You're not the one incarcerated, but you were controlled by that system because he was. Yeah, but I think that people like that that's what they think it's the stigma of it all, right? They think that's how we should be treated, but really in reality we shouldn't be treated that way. We're no different than that person. We should be treated equally. And yes, you're absolutely right. We are not the individuals that are incarcerated. So on and all on top of that though, I don't think that even the incarcerated population should be uh treated in a inhumane situation, but um I think I lost sight of your question, Joy. I'm so sorry. So the, real, the, so the shock that you went through when you first went down there and you started to work on, like, how were you treated? What was the impact on you, the individual, the 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 woman who's coming in to have to deal with all this? It was during COVID, correct? Yeah, it was. Well, it wasn't uh, the initial mistreatment was before COVID and it was when I was going into visitation. So Mm -hmm. no, it was not during COVID, but it it really was a um, basically retaliation in my eyes. And I, I 
definitely will be speaking louder about this once he's out of the system completely, because there's always that fear of retaliation. And it's happened. I'm, I am a tr- person of it. Um, I The individuals didn't like me personally because I was such a big voice and I fought for what I felt was right, as well as with many others, which is really stemming to human rights. And so because of that, they they retaliated against me, even to the point where 90 days of my visitation with my husband was taken away, suspended. So I couldn't wow. see my husband for 90 days. Um, and it was horrible. I mean, honestly, through this whole situation, Joy, this this whole journey, I have now gained, uh, you know, physical and emotional things that I never really had to deal with. Um, And I don't think anybody should have to gain those during this. I think it should be somewhat of an easy journey. Yes, your loved one, you know, committed what he did or she did or, but it should, there shouldn't be continuous trauma, just literally um, always, there's a word for it where it's, you know, it's, it's basically forced on that person because that's just the way it is. And that's not right because it's not, it's not for me, it's not reducing the recidivism rates in the communities. It's no. just causing problems, you know? So in other words, the trauma to the family that comes in to visit, it creates a ripple effect and then it creates a reactionary effect and then it creates an emotional traumatic effect. And so by the time the person comes out, not only is he being affected inside the system from all the things that go on inside the family just got heavily impacted the economics on that family got impacted if you had children or whatever that were coming in and other families that you're that you end up meeting while you're inside possibly or meeting in the parking lot before you even go inside you know all those things compound and most people don't even think about any of that they don't. I mean, I've talked to several family members that would have never guessed that this is the journey that we're going to take. Never guessed that they were going to be treated the way that they are. Um, I mean, there's so many things to this journey that so many people don't know about that. Honestly, they have that stigma where you do the time, pay the time or whatever, you know, that saying that they say, mm-hmm. which for me, mm-hmm. I want to say, hey, let me just can you sit down with me for one hour? Let me just tell you that what's going on in the in, in there are, there is some good, right? I can honestly say that my husband's a different man because of prison. And I'm very, I'm thankful for the man he is today, but I'm not thankful for who I am at times because it's, you know, and even for him through it. Um, But I, one day I hope to share our story and to be able to be impactful to the public itself because something needs to change. So let's take a quick break and let's come back and let's hear more about that, Kiyalani. Uh, audience, we're going to take a break and have her come back and talk to us about what really happened, that all this stuff happened as a human being and how how this has led her to where she is today. Are you a member of Patreon.com and enjoying our podcasts? As a patron, you can support the production of the I Change Justice podcast series. You can also support the Restorative Community Coalition, get our news, updates, and access to our digital training programs downloaded directly to your email address on a regular basis. Welcome back to the call, Kihalani. And let's talk about what happened 
when you knew that your husband was going to be released and what happened in that sequence? Because no one's release is the same as anybody else's. And most people that are listening to this call will have no idea whatever happened in the first place. So they don't even know what's normal, what is not normal. What happened to you as the family member, the spouse of the person who's who's being released? Well, I mean, honestly, I would have never expected the feelings that I felt, but I was really nervous. I didn't know. Um, I was excited. People would say, oh, you should be so excited. But the the uh, the fear of the unknown, we, we don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect with him. So um, when he was released, uh, they actually had a visitation uh, that weekend prior to him um, being released. And to be qu quite honest with you, I, my devotion to my husband, I was visiting every chance I could. And that weekend, I just couldn't. I was done. It was like almost like you knew that you were finishing a job and you were just ready to be done. So wow. I couldn't actually visit him because I was just done. And I didn't want to step one more foot in that prison. Just didn't want to. Mm -hmm. So um, he was then transferred. He was ex. He was ex. Well, he went, they transferred him down to the work release. And he, then he had a 48 hour blackout where um, he couldn't see me for 48 hours. Um, we could talk, but he needed to go through some orientation and things like that. And I can tell you, honestly, the experience between prison and work release significantly different. Uh, the way that we're treated, significantly different. Very nice. People are courteous. They respect you at work release compared to prison where they're just hardcore. Like right when you walk through the door, you just feel unwelcomed, you know? Um, and uh, the visitation is every day. I can visit my husband from 12 to eight every single day. Um, we're not, you know, we're not, there's no someone overlooking us during our visitation, watching every move we make. Um, and uh, it just seems just more um, welcoming in that situation. So um, now, as far as what to expect, we both still today kind of don't know what to expect. There isn't someone walking us through it, if that makes sense, which I feel like it would be such an easier transition if there was someone really walking us through what to expect. Um, my husband did everything that he could and he he got a job. And so basically now that he has a job. Um, he will be able to have social outings. So he'll be able to go out into the community with me as his sponsor and he can do it uh, 10 hours a day. Um, but he hasn't, he's not there yet. He, he has to still go through the transition of everything. So how long, so I want to back up to a couple of details. When he first found out he was going to get out of prison, did his actual release date correspond with the date that he was told he could get out or was there a lag time because he had to find work release or anything? Did it actually happen the way they said? And then. Yeah, we just, sorry, Joy. I mean, yes. And, and, you know, if I was to talk to other family members, they would be like, wow, you guys are super blessed. Cause we are. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. No, my experience in working with and Irene's experience in working with people is oftentimes sometimes people can end up there six months longer than when their release date was supposed to be because there's mess ups in the system or they'll say, oh, the, the place that you were going to stay went out. Well, in this case, you did get out. He did get out and he got released to work releases, which is still technically in custody, right? 
And he right. has to be, he has to meet certain deadlines and times and he has to do things right. But you didn't have an actual person helping walk you through that whole process. You sort of had to do it yourself, talking to him and figuring out what the rules and the the guidance system was. Did he get his job then since he got into work release or did he get it before he got out of prison somehow? No, he got he got the job while he was there. I mean, I'm going to take it back a little bit. He does have a uh, like a CEO that has helped him through the way, but there is no help for the families. I mean, okay. there just isn't. Yeah. Okay. But for him, I mean, he was definitely walked through of different things that he needed to do, what his plan was. They call it his release plan. He needs to work. He needs to do this. Like they went through all of that with an orientation. But from a family standpoint, we don't know. We don't know when to drop off the clothes, you know. So they basically put it up to the incarcerated individual to be the one that 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 uh, uh, basically tells the family member what needs to happen. But I don't I personally don't think that that is helpful. I think well, the that... person who was incarcerated has been living in a different reality, in a different world for a long period of time. He doesn't know what's happening on the public, on the outside. He doesn't know how technology has shifted. He doesn't know what you're dealing with as a family member. It's like apples and oranges trying to come together. And the barrier of it, too, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that there's so many things that are are when you say the word prepare, right, right, even right now, we have to prepare for him to go to GRE, which is the new expansion of the graduated reentry uh, bill that passed two years ago, where he will be able to come home um, the last five months of his sentence, but we're still in the kind of the unknown of what's going to happen there. And when I had talked to you about moving, when he's home, um, he has to work. That's part of his his reentry or his uh, release plan. But if we're in Blaine and he works in Seattle, do you see how that, you know, a it's almost. A, oh, it's I'm stressing about it already. And I okay. and I don't I don't want to move again. I'm moved six well, times. And the fact is, is that if there's a complication that happens between you and his work and his travel, now suddenly there's this threat that if you screw it up, I mean, there's little itty bitty details. All you have to do is miss one date or time mm -hmm. or requirement or one piece of paper that you don't do right. And he goes back to prison. Right. So there's severe consequences of messing things up. And then all that pressure goes on the family and on the person, but there's no guidance. Wow. Yeah, and you hit it right there, Joy, because honestly, I, with the experience of it, my, I really got to see my husband outside of prison and the institutionalized mentality. I never would have thought that he would form to that, but he is so formed to it. You know, uh, one example is it, it took him almost 30 minutes to download Netflix. He had no idea how to work it. And he was worried that why do they need to know where my location is, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah. wait, huh? I don't even ask myself that sometimes on some of the apps that I download, but they're thinking everything is different than he was 10 years ago. So different. He's structure, you know? Well, and up it's this structure according to those rules and those rules do right. not match the human right. rules that we're living by in a fast moving technology world. Absolutely. Did he exit with a driver's license or a, an ID card or did he exit with a Washington ID identity card? 
He actually, uh, they gave him a Washington ID. What that is an actual Washington state ID yeah. as an individual right. person. And when he exited, did he exit with a, a check for $40 or what did he come out with other than a Washington ID card? Well, he hasn't, he's not fully released yet. So that I don't know that question, answer that question about the $40, which is ridiculous. That's a whole nother topic, but um, he hasn't been given that check because he's in, he's still in custody and he was given an ORCA card though, but he had to pay for it. $55. And what's an ORCA card? A bus card. So he was, he, he got a bus card. Um, he only gets certain amount every month of going and riding the bus, which is, again, it's a whole nother barrier joy. And yep. this is where I talk, this is where he would asked about the economic part of things, right? Like, if there's someone like myself as the wife, and if you need to cut me off, you can. If there's a if there's a someone that is willing to support this individual to get him to where he needs to be, I believe the department should allow that. You Absolutely. know, instead of you have to take the bus to where your interviews are. I mean, my husband, who is pretty self sufficient, didn't want to do those things because he's been institutionalized for almost. 12 or 13 years to just put that on him is a lot, you know, it just it is. And just to think like, oh, well, it's just taking the bus to him. It's not. It's a, no, big, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big thing. So for me, these are the things that I'm going to be raising my voice on in the future um, is that, you know, I think that they should give the option that if the individual has the resources of someone that's credible, willing to help that person, that they should be able to help them from the beginning. You know what I'm you saying? You know what's, it's really interesting because one of the things I, I did when I first became president of the RCC, I started working with Irene, who was working with work release here in Bellingham. And she had learned how to work with work release so that she could get certified so they would approve her to pick people mm -hmm. up, drive them around. Oh. She took one guy out to help him get his, the uniform he was going to need to go get a job at country, country something. It was a restaurant. So she could go help him buy some clothes. She had to loan him money to buy the clothes because he couldn't, he had to have a uniform. He had to have black pants and a white shirt and all these proper things. So she had to physically herself personally loan him money and then have him pay her back later because he didn't have any money to get a uniform to go to work. Then she had to make, she could drive him around, but in order to get the permission to pick him up to drive him around, she had to submit an agenda for exactly where right. she was going to take him, how long they were going to be there, all this stuff in advance. Well, in the meantime, this guy finds out that he needs to go over here to get this, or he needs to go get that, or he needs to go to the bank to get his check cashed. We didn't think to put it on the on the list of things to do. So technically, she wasn't supposed to do it. And and or it would be illegal. I mean, it would actually throw him back in. And so there was a point at which I became one of his uh people who could drive him around. And at one point, I had him in the car and I said, you know, I'm driving you home from work. We need to go home. I need to swing by the bank. And he said, you, you shouldn't do that. And I said, why not? And he said, because it wasn't on your plan. And if you go by the bank, even for me just to sign something off, what that did is that put him in jeopardy 
So he could be sent back to prison because we decided we could stop and just drive by the bank. Never even occurred to me. I was so stunned. And the conditioning for people coming out, like it didn't occur to me that if he goes to the, I'm just going to go off on a side trip here for a second. He went to get his driver's license. He had a letter that was sent from the DOC, supposedly to the driver's license people that was supposed to say, you have the permission to get a driver's license. Well, that email didn't get there. And so he goes in wanting to get his driver's license. He couldn't get it because the letter wasn't there. And, and I was standing by him and I said, why not? Where else could it be? And he said, oh my God, Joy, you can't do that. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you can't ask about nothing when you're inside. You can't question anything. You can't, because you're going to get reprimanded. You're going to get in trouble. You just have to take it. And the conditioning that I had to learn to be able to help him, I can't imagine what that must be like for you with somebody who's been inside for 10 years. He's conditioned you don't open your own doors unless you're given permission. You can't do this. You can't do that. Or you're going to get reprimanded. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is I'm not the same person I was, to be honest with you, uh, prior to this. And I, I actually started becoming, I started standing up for myself even more the last year. And even some of my emails in closing that I send to the department is you will no longer abuse me. And it sounds very, very, very like, whoa, why would you say that Kaylani? But it's the truth. It's how I feel mm -hmm. um, from someone who suffered from uh child uh, abuse. It, 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 any form could come in a way of authoritarianship of abuse. And, and I, I don't, I don't say that in a way of, Oh, please, you know, feel for me. No, it's a reality, yeah. you know, and I, I can't turn back my time. I can't turn back my days that I spent because I loved my husband unconditionally and human nature. I'm being penalized for that. That's wrong. Yeah wrong it really is wrong let's take another break and we'll be right back with kihalani talking about the impacts of the fact that work release was shut down in whatcom county for contract reasons and how it threw her life into total chaos and how she's having to adapt to that at the restorative community coalition we are seeking donors and legacy contributions for our restore life center to learn more about the restore life center project or donate directly Contact us at info at therestorativecommunity.org or visit our website at www.therestorativecommunity.org and click on the donate button. Welcome back. Kehalani, talking about what it was like when you found out that the work release facility that your husband was expected to release to suddenly was changed. What happened that that happened? How did that affect oh, you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really, honestly, um, I, I, of course my feathers went up and in instantly I was like, all right, who do I need to call? Cause this is just ridiculous. Like how can a work release just stop in the middle of, you know, just close and it's, and it's the building's still there. I mean, I drive by it frequently. It's like still there, but there's nobody there. So what happened? Like, like he was planning on coming out in a particular month or a particular day. How were you notified? Was he notified? Were you notified? Like yes. how much time did you have to adapt to this? You'd reorganized your entire life to be able to work with him. How much time lapsed there and how, what happened? 
Well, I think the timeline is, is that here again, we're talking about the guidance, right? So there wasn't really any guidance. It really was rumors. Instantly oh. was said, Bellingham's closing. I said, what? Uh, my husband had, I think, five months prior to his him being sent to a work release. We were geared to go to Bellingham. And let's go back a little bit. Where it goes is that you can't just plan where you want to go. DOC plans where you want to go, which is impactful to the family member. Like, just, just say, for instance, he was generated to go to Seattle and I live in Blaine. That doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and there is proven data, Joy, and I think you know this, that family connections reduces the recidivism rates in our communities. Yeah. And when I say recidivism, I mean crime, right? Because recidivism is a big word. But you know, it was that four or five months where I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. So I instantly got on the phone. Is this true? Is this happening? Why is it happening? Nobody can be transparent within the oh. department. There is no, well, Kaylani, this is no, it's we're waiting for this. Now we have to go through legislation. I'm like, why do we have to go through legislation? If the money is funded already, which you already have to ask for in your budget, two or three years prior to, why is there no money? That doesn't make any sense to me at all whatsoever. How do you just close down if it's already been paid for by taxpayers? Like what? What? So I'm emailing, I'm asking questions and they're, it's again, it's not, it's, there is, it's a runaround. You know, they give you this answer of running around, trying to figure it out. It's like a rabbit. You have to chase it and try to catch it. <laughs> so in other words, what you're telling me is that your husband thought he was coming here. You thought he was coming here. You're sitting here. You hear a rumor that, no, they're closing it down. You yourself had to go do research to figure out, is it really being closed down or is it not? No one tells you. You try to ask for help because you're having to prepare to receive him after 10 years of prison. And... They don't tell you and to find out it has to do with legislature, Department of Corrections, funding, contracts, all this stuff. No one is informing you and no one is informing him. And you're just supposed to be still and you're going, I really need to find out what's going on here. So there's no buffer and there's no bridge and there's no connection between the families who are who are preparing to have someone released, the person releasing and where never the twain shall meet. Yeah, there isn't. And and I think that's where we come in as FOTI, to be honest with you, is helping families navigate. There's a reason why I'm going through this. There's a reason why I'm walking these steps, because I'm hoping that in the future, others don't have to go through what we have, have had to go through. But the thing about it is, is that the department should already be aware of this. This isn't new. You right. know, so many people have already gone through this, that the system should be built to help people not to make it worse and to make it to make it to the point where people just give up. Individuals will walk away from the situation because physically, emotionally, they can't handle it. It's a right. lot. Yeah. So um, when they told us that he was going to, what do you do though, right, Joy? You can't fight the system and say, well, I don't want him to go there. You can't do that because <laughs> you're going to be shut down. I mean, literally shut down. And so you just have to go with the flow and just deal with it. You just have but to in suck the it up. You have to suck it up, but I can tell you it's, it's hard joy. I mean, it is really, really hard. Sometimes I, I, I think to myself, you know, um, 
I, I, I am very strong woman, but I can imagine for the individuals that, uh, it's just, it's, it's not, people don't deserve this. They don't deserve because their loved one is incarcerated at the continuous, uh, treatment and not the guideline, uh, guidance. Um, and there's no support. I mean, you're a businesswoman. At least you understand what rules and regulations and times and how you need to plan for it, what you need to schedule, how you need to budget, all this stuff. A lot of people whose loved ones are coming out, they know none of this stuff. And so with no guidance and no support and inaccurate information, when did you finally realize that your husband was not coming to Bellingham and then you had to make adjustments to be able to go see him and deal with the release processes like i think probably it was probably about a about three weeks prior to him being released so i had to basically suck it up and say okay this because i mean you have to look at the fact that is it is part of freedom he's no longer behind those walls let's just get you out you know um and so we just had to make sacrifices as we as we have through this whole entire journey so and we have to make a sacrifice again. And then we have to deal with community custody. It's like a never ending thing. It's like, and when are we going to get there? <laughs> and when he came out and when he's in work release in Seattle, not Bellingham, he's in Seattle and you're having to work with that. Does he have a single CO who t- who's in charge of him who can decide whether he's doing things right or wrong? Or is it a whole team of people? What does he have to do? Well, he has one CCO, very, very nice. Um, but he now this because I do deal, uh, do speak to a lot of families that always changes. So, and it happens to change. It happened to change with my husband three days ago. He now has a new CCO. So he's now dealing with a different character, right? So, and I'm not going to say anything quite yet, but it's, it hasn't been easy on him. Yeah. And so he's, I mean, he just literally texts me and about a situation that just happened and he is very non-confrontational does not want to argue, but because of that abuse of power, and maybe I shouldn't use those exact words, but okay. that authoritarian ship, like you're going to do what I'm going to tell you to do. It shouldn't be like that in work release at some point. They have they have proven as a, as a human that they're ready to go in back into society. So you're continuously using that tone and culturally saying, you need to do this, you need to do that that isn't part of a change, right? Like, so in a way it's almost like I'm working for somebody. Let's say that the normal listener on here has a boss and you have been working for that boss and you have the option most of the time to at least have, have questions and answers and something that allows you to negotiate whether you get time off or not time off or whether you have to do this this way or that way. And what, what I'm hearing now, this is based upon what I also hear from all these other people that I've worked with. But what when you have a CCO, the CCO's word is law. I mean, they decide whether you're going to get out, whether you're going to get demerits, whether you have to go do this or do that, or whether you pass this or pass that. And if that person decides that what you're doing is somehow you didn't do it right, there's no feedback loop. There's no rights or privileges there's no way to question it you basically have to just say okay yes sir yes sir yes ma'am whatever and then you as the family member if you impinge or create difficulty for your partner 
or you question the CCO, that can come back on him again. So it's like there's these constant traps um, mm -hmm. and everybody's walking on eggshells trying to get out. Well, yeah. And I think that the more awareness we bring, like, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Joy, because um, I was for a while very fearful to come out with awareness, you know, and more and more like something like this gives me more uh, of an empowering feeling like you need to talk about it. People need yes. to know about it. Um, you know, if we don't try to change the system, our again, our communities aren't going to be safe, to be honest. Um, and so and why I say that is because of the fact that I try to tell people sit in your bathroom for four hours and tell me with the door closed and tell me how you feel after four hours physically and emotionally. If we continue the route of punishment, it's just that's where where we're going to be with this continuous you know, criminal activity. I'm not no doctor or anything like that, but I lived this experience. And even for myself, as a wife and incarcerated, I felt like I was in prison, you yeah. know, I mean, like physically I wasn't in there, but it, inside of me, I was My, well, and, mentally. And we've been interviewing different people from different phases and it, the laws and the rules and the regulations are all also filtered through whoever is in charge of operations. So there's yeah. layers upon layers upon layers. And if there's no oversight and there's no transparency and there's no one to advocate for you, what happens is that somebody who's never gone through the system as a family member, someone who's never gone through the system as an inmate, and if all the mileposts and all the guidance systems change 100% of the time, how is anybody that's there going to be able to relate to a world that's changing out here? There's like there's like this big, I call it gaposis. It's like the inflamed space of gaps. And there's so many gaps that even those of us who are out are dealing with. I mean, just look at how many times your phone changes form on you just because it right. Google decides to change or Verizon changes or the search engines change or the forms change. There's all these things that are changing in our normal in our lives, question mark, quote, quote unquote, normal. I mean, the whole world is changing all the time. So I'm really grateful that you've been willing to come out and talk to us about this stuff because people think, well, we've got crime in the streets. Let's just buy another jail. Let's put more people in there. The, mar the, the population, we don't understand that once you build those things, you have to maintain them. You have to pay for them. You have to staff them. You have to do all this stuff that costs enormous amounts of money and it's all behind closed doors. And so just the problem that you're talking about trying to get somebody out of the system, that person can hit all kinds of roadblocks that throw them back in. And every time he goes back in, it's thirty-five dollars to $75,000 that the taxpayers pay for. So I'm sorry I'm talking about taxpayers' costs, but as the person caught in the middle, one little tiny mistake on your part can cause him to go back for another year, three years, five years, seven years, whatever the heck it is. And it isn't because the guy's bad. It's because he might not have signed the paper at the right time with the right person or been nice enough to the right CCO. Yeah. And I mean, I think that whoever actually came up with the system, it was a genius in a way. It's a recycled system, really. And it's a well-oiled machine, to be honest. But it has to change because of the fact that 
uh, trauma is a real thing. And, you know, it, it really needs to be looked at on all aspects of the justice system because... So- so the system works for the system, but it doesn't necessarily work for the humans. Yeah. For what would people, be your yeah. last couple comments if you had just another minute or two? What would you say to those of us who don't know what you just lived through? What would you like to share with us that would really help us to understand what's going on, to bring more compassion into our reality? Well, and 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 that is where I, I feel like, you know, I wish I had an hour, but um, because, you know, everybody has a different perspective to things, but I just, I would love to say to the person that, you know, if I had, you know, one minute with you, I would say other words, I'm human too. I'm no different than you are. It just happens to be that my husband committed a crime. He's doing his time. Um, but, you know, uh, be aware of what do you want? How do you want our communities to be safe and really educate yourself in a way? And nobody likes to be told to be educated on it, but sit down with someone like myself who's lived this experience. And let me tell you that what you think is going on isn't really going on. And will you be a part of the solution to make Washington a better place? Just even by uh, you know, being a voice. Um, and yeah, you know, there are some crimes out there that are just, you know, there, uh, people believe that there, that crime doesn't need any kind of, uh, I don't even know how to say it, but it's just, um, human rights is a, is a big thing. And 96% of the incarcerated population will one day be released and that is huge in itself. I think they actually just went up to 97%. So one day an incarcerated individual will be your neighbor or someone that you work with. Do you want that person to come out and to continuously, uh, you know, be angry inside and want to possibly reoffend? Like we really have to focus on that um, is what's going on inside of the prisons. We need rehabilitation. And we really need the rehabilitation on the outside as well, because you as a family members, if you're angry and they're angry and our systems aren't designed to help people release that anger, do restorative justice, do social healing, learn how to deal with conflict, learn how to change our operating systems. It's not it's not about prison or no prison. It's about how do we operate those prisons? How do we operate the jails? How do we operate our rehabilitation systems? How do we operate as humans in between these walls? Like, that's really the work that we're up to. And I'm really grateful that you have stepped forward to do it, that you came in and introduced yourself to us, that we can work with you and help you build these systems, because we have to build the systems in between the walls. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank really you. Appreciate you. Thank you. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. 
If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.